Uh, so today in our uh, Come As You Are series, I, I want to talk about deciding to follow Jesus. And really, I, I want to talk a little more about deciding to unfollow Jesus. Why do people who choose uh, to follow Jesus then sometimes choose to unfollow him? And, and Canada. You know, we're a, a pretty interesting country when it comes to faith and religion. In fact, religion is a bad word. Faith, it's, a, it's an okay word. And, and maybe spirituality, it's an even better word. So people who study faith and spirituality in Canada, they tell us that Canada is less religious than earlier generations, but more spiritual. And I hear that all the time, you know. People here in Fort McMurray like to say that they're spiritual, but not religious. Some of you here this morning, you might even say that. Here's what the pollsters, uh, Angus Reid, working with the National Post, found out about Canadians. 67% of Canadians believe in God or a higher power. Now, that's not too bad, but at one point within my lifetime, it was like close to 90%, but hey, 67% is still a majority. But let's keep going. 60% of Canadians believe in life after death. 53% believe that God is active in the world. 57% believe in heaven, and 41% believe in hell. But, and this is a huge but, only 21% of Canadians are really committed to their faith, holding a strong belief in God and regularly attending church or religious services. Chances are, many of you are part of that 21%. Awesome. And for those of us in that 21%, uh, there is good news. The majority of people we work with and hang out with, they are not anti-faith. They're just not committed to Jesus. Not yet. Most people remain spiritually interested, but not overly involved, not really committed to anything, and keep what faith they have to themselves. It's kind of a private spirituality deal. But what this means is that you do have some common ground with the people you work with and hang out with, and if you got just a little bit brave and asked the Holy Spirit to use you, you might be able to build a bridge between their spiritual interest and the Jesus they hold back on being committed to. And hey, the pollsters tell us you'd be surprised how many people would say yes to an invitation to come to church or a small group with you. Not, everything, not everyone, obviously, but surprisingly more than you would imagine. And if done gently, uh, lovingly, just saying, hey... This is what's happening in my church on Sunday. This is what's happening in our small group or at this event. I find it helpful. Super Bowl party even. The point is at some point over time, you might just get a yes. And this is part of what it means to be on mission with Jesus. Because our mission is to help people connect with the life-transforming love of Jesus, to actually experience what Jesus wants to do in their lives, to help them live well now and live forever. Our mission is simply to connect our friends and family with the love of Jesus. Now, many of the people who are not attending church right now here in Fort McMurray, they, they did so as kids. That's especially true of those who come from the Atlantic provinces or maybe come from Southeast Asia and South America. The Philippines is huge in this front. But I know, you, you might think, hey, oh man, the guys I know, they act like they've never been near a church. But the fact is, many who now live in Fort McMurray, they were at one time church goers, even followers of Jesus. But somewhere along the line, they decided to unfollow Jesus, drop out. And now they just see themselves as spiritual with no real faith commitment. And there's a good number of you here this morning. You dropped out at one point, stopped following Jesus, but you're coming back or you're back. And 
So glad you're back, and I know you're happy to be back. Some of you, you're still exploring whether you're going to come back. You're still tire-kicking a bit right now. There are others of you, you've never followed Jesus. This is all new to you, and you're exploring, and we're glad you're here. But today, I want to talk about the phenomenon of unfollowing Jesus and do that by looking at a story in the life of Jesus where some people decided to unfollow him. So this idea of unfollowing Jesus, it's nothing new. It's been happening since the days of Jesus. And again this week, I do want to acknowledge Andy Stanley, who has given me a bunch of ideas that I've used throughout this series of Come As You Are. And if you've been coming to this series... And I encourage you, if you've not been getting it all, you can catch up on it by going online and watching it there at our webpage. But if you've been following along, then you know that you don't have to have your act together to start following Jesus. You don't have to be a rule keeper. No, you you really don't. You just come as you are. In fact, being a messed up sinner is a prerequisite. I mean, we don't like that label, but yeah, we are all messed up sinners. Some of us just don't like to admit it. Hey... It doesn't matter how big or little of a sinner you are, how much mess you've gotten into or not. The only people who end up following Jesus are people who recognize that they got this bit of a sin thing going on in their lives and they're looking for Jesus to help them live and love better and overcome some of the sin stuff that trips us all up. You, you do get tripped up, right? I mean, come on, admit it. But at the same time, you know, it's okay to doubt. It's, it's okay to wrestle with the question, ah, oh, Is this all true? Am I buying into some myth, some fantasy, some human-made con job, or is this the real deal? Does Jesus really exist? Does Jesus really change lives for the better? Okay, I'm not sure that the pastor is allowed to say this, but over the years I've had occasional bouts with doubt. And I've discovered that I make some church people really uncomfortable when I admit that I had to wrestle through some doubts. In fact, in my last church, a key family left the church when I talked about an experience of doubt, telling me, my job is to inspire faith, build faith, and not talk about doubt. And my response was, well, no, I think my job is also to be real, to be authentic. My my job is to live my faith as it really is, so they left. And the good news is, a couple of years later, they came back, and they did become good friends, and they still serve in that church with passion today, and we had a tense point in our relationship. And here's what I think is true of all of us. At some point or another, we're all going to ask the question, is this really true? Like, do I really want to give my life to this Jesus who I have never seen physically face to face? Okay, the temptation to unfollow. It often happens at times of transition. That's often when doubts creep in or we just kind of let things slide. Like when you move from wherever to Fort McMurray, that's a huge transition. This is where a lot of Jesus followers end up unfollowing Jesus. Sometimes people just get out of the habit of attending church when they move, and sometimes it's just the challenge of hanging out with so many people who don't take Jesus seriously. No one at work or camp is encouraging you to follow Jesus. No, you're on your own. For me, my first bout of doubt when maybe I was first tempted to unfollow Jesus, came oh so typically in my first year of university. So a transition like living at home, going to high school, and moving to get your first job, 
or the transition from high school to college or university. These are huge transitions, and the dropout rate in these kinds of transitions is absolutely huge. I transitioned from a small, tight-knit high school with a lot of Christian kids in the school to the University of Toronto, the largest university in the country that sprawls across downtown Toronto. Last week, I told you that one of the first clubs I joined was the Gun Club with ranges under the student center called Heart House. It's on the screen there. But I also joined the Christian Fellowship on campus that met um, just upstairs from the gun range. And it was called InterVarsity, and it was connected to the Christian camp that I was serving at the time called Pioneer. And that camp and that Christian Fellowship connection was huge, even stronger than my church at the time, and, and was just a stabilizing influence. Connecting regularly with other believers at a church or a Bible study is huge. You've you got to commit to being a regular attender to really help your faith do well in the culture we live in. So my first year in university forced me to reevaluate whether I was going to hang on to this faith that I had latched onto as I was growing up through school. One of the very first classes I took in university was an environmental science course where a professor with a Hindu background opened the book of Genesis. This is in the very first class and read from the King James Version. And God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And he did not like that word dominion and he walked it all the way through the rest of the Bible and, and he used it to explore how the Jewish and Christian faith and the teaching of the Bible are the key reason why pollution was growing in the world today and that the environment was, was deteriorating. Back then we called it global warming not climate change. And he articulately explained that it was because of what Christians and Jews believed that had influence, not just on the West, but the whole world, and it was just getting into the mess that it was in. And he was quite convincing, actually, a brilliant guy. And then there was this clash between what church people told me, what a good Christian looked like, that I just wasn't convinced was totally biblically defensible, but they were, and churches back then were much more this way than now, but, but the churches I was uh, hanging out in tended to say, you know, drink, dance, smoke, or chew, or go around with girls that do, and yeah, I know that sounds a bit hokey, but some of you, depending on where you are from, you know exactly what I mean. Some of you come from those churches, and hey, I, I get it. From a health point of view, there's some error here, right? But I really wasn't looking to get drunk. That was never a big thrill for me. I, I never wanted to become addicted to cigars, which some of the guys in, in my university were into on, on occasion, and, or the history and philosophy students, they were into pipes, tobacco pipes, that is. There, there were other types of pipes on campus as well, but that didn't overly appeal to me. But I wrestled, hey, in moderation, occasional, would that condemn me to hell? But now, my church friends didn't exactly put it that way, but some of them came really close, actually. And I know for many of you, in light of what the issues are today, that all sounds totally odd and unreasonable. But for the churches that I was a part of at the time, I just wasn't living right. And I had to wrestle and work through this stuff and figure out where I stood. And in the end, I did hang in there with church. But to be honest, I just figured what they didn't know wouldn't kill them. And that's not being honest or authentic. I just kind of played a game with them. And now, you just get me as I am, okay? And hey, one of you gave me this t-shirt for Christmas, a Guinness t-shirt, how cool is that? 
And we're still selling one of my favorite books, The Search for God and Guinness, out in the library. It's a great read, inspiring, really. I encourage you to grab a copy. And I'm not sure how it magically appeared on my Apple calendar, but February 20th is International Pipe Smoking Day. Not as popular as a generation ago, and we're certainly much more health conscious these days, okay? But all this to say that there was this side to me that I didn't think was all that bad, that made some church-going folk back in the day very uncomfortable, and at times it caused me to say, oh man, what am I doing here? I don't think I ever got near to the point of unfollowing Jesus, but science and rules were issues that raised doubts for me. So there's a story in the life of Jesus found in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel where doubts start to happen, and it causes people to unfollow Jesus. And at the end of the story, Jesus asks a question that for me on my journey, I found to be an incredibly helpful question. I'll save that question for later, but I just want to look at that a bit today. The context of this story is Jesus has just miraculously fed 5,000 people from five loaves of bread and two fish. If you grew up in church, you know this story about how that small amount of food was multiplied, fed thousands with basketfuls left over. With a miracle like this, I mean, the people are going crazy about Jesus. They want to make him their king and depose the Romans. I mean... I think in the disciples' mind, this was really great. I mean, if your friend becomes the king, life could get really sweet, right? But Jesus, what does he do? He hops in a boat, heads across the Sea of Galilee. He wants to escape the crowds that want to make him king. Now, we're skipping over some major events here, like Jesus walking on water, but some of these Jesus groupies, uh, in the Bible here, they're called disciples. They, they figure out where Jesus has gone. They, they get into boats themselves, and they track Jesus down to a synagogue in Capernaum on the other side of the lake. And then these Jesus groupies, what they want? They want another sign. They want another miracle. They just want action, right? Jesus decides to use this as a teachable moment and, and tells them real food. You know, like the food they got the day before. This real food is nothing compared to what he is personally offering them. Jesus then claims that he is the bread of life that has come down from heaven to them. But the people in the crowd, they're literalists. They just can't wrap their mind around this bread from heaven as an analogy. And as literalists, they go, Jesus, I mean, you didn't come down from heaven. We know your parents. But Jesus presses the analogy of him being bread from heaven that gives him life when he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The people are not following the analogy. They are taking it literally and they are totally weirded out. And so at this point, Jesus starts to lose the crowd. The twelve, the apostles, they're getting a little nervous now. I mean, up to now, they've been rock stars, right? I mean, after the feeding frenzy the day before, the crowd wanted to make Jesus their king. The twelve were thinking, wow, our moment has come, this is going to be awesome, and now this, right? And the apostle John, one of the apostles who is also probably struggling with Jesus right now, who much later on writes this account of Jesus' life that we're using today, John tells us that on hearing this kind of strange sermon, many of Jesus' followers, uh, they're called disciples, I call them groupies, this is not the twelve, but many of them start to unfollow Jesus. 
They only wanted the show, the miracles, the action. John writes, on hearing it, many disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And in other words, who can listen to this junk? Who can take this? So I imagine guys like James and John trying to get all this under control as they say to the crowd, hey, hold on there, we'll be right back. And maybe they ask Matthew to tell some tax collector jokes just to, you know, hold the crowd while they work this all out with Jesus. I mean, things are going bad pretty quickly here. Jesus cuts them off, and as we read, aware that his disciples, that's not the twelve, but a lot of those Jesus groupies in the crowd, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this make you wonder? Does this trip you up? Is this too heavy? Is this too hard? At this point, Jesus is not working the crowd to his favor. And John, then a little later, tells us, from this time, many of his disciples, those groupies, turned back, and there it is, unfollowed him. Like, hit the unfollow button. Not following anymore. I have decided to unfollow Jesus. You know, I could redo that song and sing it for you, but I'll spare you. All right? And the disciples in this crowd are going, oh, this is turning into something I didn't sign up for. I mean, I love the miracles, love the healing, love the excitement. Hey, I really thought that you, Jesus, might become the king and, and we get rid of those dirty Romans once and for all. But all that talk that you came from heaven, that you're the bread of life, eat my flesh, drink my blood... I don't think we can go there, Jesus. That's way too weird. We're done. And the twelve, the apostles, they see the tides are changing quickly. And for the twelve, Jesus is not looking quite as sweet as he did a day ago. And each of them is starting to struggle. What's going on? What's Jesus doing? Why is he wrecking everything? And this is kind of an awkward relational moment between Jesus and his apostles. And the guys go, hey guys, heads down, let's not make eye contact with Jesus. And Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, so, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Like, ouch, right? And I think this is such a relevant question for you and me. Because I guarantee you, it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, the day is going to come when you're going to consider unfollowing him. I already talked about transition points in our lives. We leave a secure, comfortable environment where we have friends who believe, and we come to a place like Fort McMurray where all the people around us just don't give a rip about Jesus. Jesus doesn't matter to them, and so we allow that to seep into our lives, and Jesus starts to not matter to us. A lot of times, it revolves around how hard it is to live in the way that the Bible encourages us to live. And the issue isn't a little alcohol or a cigar. It's much more complex. You're going, yeah, Doug, it's that abortion I had. It's all the sexual partners I've had. It's the pornography I'm still attached to and the mess that it's creating. It's when alcohol becomes more than a little bit and it becomes an addiction or drugs that become an addiction. And we struggle with the rules like I did, maybe still do, and build a wall between me and God, forgetting that God loves me despite whatever I've done or I'm doing. He just doesn't love me less. You know, the truth is there is nothing I can do to make God love me less. We forget that. So I push away from God. I, I don't want God to love me and to help me through this. 
Think I'll stay addicted. It's easier. Uh, think I'll stay the way I am. It's just easier. By the way, in two weeks, we have a short message series walking through the complexities of sexuality in our world called Swipe Right. We'll look at God's ideal and, and how he works with us wherever we're at in the middle of it. And we'll get, and hey, we get that in this church family, we're all over the map when it comes to how we approach sexuality. We just want to gently, lovingly look at how God works with all of that. That's in two weeks. I actually think it just might be helpful. Hey, when we come to Jesus, we just come as we are. And you know, when we come to him, there are incredible benefits to following Jesus. And we're not just talking spending eternity with Jesus, but huge benefits for right now today. Following Jesus and allowing his Holy Spirit to fill and empower you will make you a better person if you let him. It will make you a better husband, a better parent, a friend. You'll be a better person where you work. Following Jesus changes how we relate to people for the better. Following Jesus makes you a more generous person. Hey, you'll find it easier to forgive. Did you catch at the Humboldt hearings this week, the wife of the coach, Darcy Hogan, who lost his life in that horrific crash? crash. His, his wife, Christina, said that while she's angry, that crash took the life or, of, of her husband and the father of her two children. But she doesn't have ill will towards that driver, Sadu. And, and this is what she said directly to Sadu. I want to tell you, I forgive you. I have been forgiven for things when I didn't deserve it, so I will do the same. Darcy and Christina are followers of Jesus. And it's Jesus who is giving Christina the ability to cope at, at a level that, that maybe some others are not able to. I mean, in the midst of this horrific tragedy, I mean, all these folk are doing amazing when you watch them journey through all of this. But you watch some of the Christians in the middle of that, and you can see them shine in a way that others are not. Hey, like you see in that accident... Following Jesus doesn't mean you'll always avoid pain and tragedy. But, but here's what it does mean. It does help you avoid avoidable pain and tragedy and regret. Following Jesus does not reduce pain and regret. Um, always, but again, yes it does. You know what I mean? Jesus also said that following him is like building your house on a rock rather than on the sand. And when storms come, you'll make it. But there is another side of our experience of following Jesus, and it's this other side that pushes us to hit the unfollow button. Sometimes you find yourself in a situation where you are the only one who believes what you believe, and you're living life with values that you have that no one else seems to have, and you feel a pressure, and you feel a bit isolated and alone. Or maybe, as I said earlier, you're just with people who don't care one way or another about Jesus, and you start to not care with them. Chances are, you're not going to unfollow Jesus because you don't believe it's true anymore. Surprisingly, very few people quit following Jesus because they don't think it's true. It's happened, but the studies tell us it's amazingly rare. No. Often people call, quit following Jesus because they think it's too hard. Salvation is free, you come to Jesus just as you are, but following Jesus will eventually cost you something, right? And when people see the cost... They bail. It's too hard. It makes demands. Demands of my money, my time, my energy. It's inconvenient. The kids got hockey and Sundays at church got replaced with the hockey rink and then God sort of disappeared from our lives. That is so typical Fort McMurray. Sometimes, 
people quit following Jesus because of a Christian leader or a church that disappoints us, hurt us. And we go, if that's what Christians are like, I'm out of here. We're quick to see the sin of a leader and slow to see that sometimes we're not that different, but that's another story. What I'm saying is that despite all the benefits you get from following Jesus here and now and forever, you're still going to hit a moment when you debate unfollowing him. Just like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Matthew, Bartholomew, all of them, all of these guys who were so, so close to Jesus, they had a moment. Wow, this is hard. This could end up being quite costly. You know, I'm evaluating. I see what's going on right now, and uh, I I could lose my life if I follow Jesus. So wrestling with Jesus and wrestling with faith and doubt, you're in good company. Back to our story. It's in the middle of this very awkward and dramatic moment between the twelve and Jesus, where Jesus is asking, so, do you want me to leave too? That Peter... Bold, brash Peter. I love this guy. He's absolutely brilliant in his response. What Peter says at this point has captured me uh, in those times when I'm tempted to doubt and forget the Jesus thing. Jesus is asking, I mean, do you want to leave me too? And this is Simon Peter's brilliant answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you, you have the words of eternal life. If we don't follow Jesus, who or what are we going to follow? And who else offers the gift of life, life that changes now and life that goes on forever? Peter recognizes something that most people don't recognize until it's too late. Really, what are the alternatives to following Jesus and where do they lead us? Here's Peter. I imagine he's reminiscing about his journey with Jesus so far. It's like he's saying, I remember when I was out there fishing with my dad, uh, when when you and your friends walked up to me and you invited me into something grand and glorious, and suddenly my life had more purpose than it ever had before. I, I became a part of the grand story of God in this world. It was awesome. What am I gonna do? Go back fishing with my dad and have kids and have grandkids, which is all great and all but Jesus. You gave me something on top of that, more than that. You gave me the opportunity to live for something that changes lives, that changes history. And Jesus, I would rather die for something rather than to live for nothing. In fact, I would rather follow you and die rather than just die. Jesus, you invited us into something so much bigger than what we've been a part of. Yeah, this part of the story right now where you're getting a bit unpopular stinks. I'm not liking this. It's not what I signed up for. I I thought you'd maybe be king by now. But leave and follow who? Follow what? Truth be told, as we followed you, we have come to believe and to know, to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've seen too much. We've experienced too much to follow anyone or anything else. And this is true for you, and it's true for me. When Jesus called you to follow him, he was inviting you into the big story of God's transforming love for this world that starts in the book of Genesis and ends in the book of Revelation. You become a part of that story of God at work in our world. Following Jesus is pretty big, and he has a role for you to play in that story. Here at Fort City, we use the words life 
transformation and adventure to describe what we experience when we follow Jesus. We've tasted a bit of this life that Jesus has for us. We've experienced his transforming work in our lives and then following Jesus at times can be one heart-pumping, thrilling adventure. Might even lead us to Fort McMurray. And we're just too far in to turn away. Now here's the deal. Transition, temptation, trouble. They always create questions. We say, where is God? Why would God allow this to happen? Why didn't God come through for me? Why doesn't God matter to so many people around me? Why am I suffering when someone else isn't? Friends, there are always questions, always questions, even doubts that, you know, they're absolutely fine. But I mean, it's a mistake. It's a, it really is a big mistake to step away from Jesus simply because of the questions you don't have answers to, the doubts you don't have figured out yet. Hey, just because you don't have the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer, right? It, it just means you don't know yet. If not Jesus, then what? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. Uh, well, then don't you make a move until you know what? To whom will you go? Right? To whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. I've seen too much, and I've actually believed. You know, it costs you nothing to come to Jesus. But following Jesus, that does start to cost you something. But refusing to follow Jesus, that could cost you everything. To whom shall you go? To what shall you go? So maybe today, instead of hitting the unfollow button, maybe you would renew your commitment to follow Jesus or even make a first-time commitment to following him and the way you can renew your commitment to follow Jesus or make a commitment for the first time, one way would be through communion this morning. By participating in communion in a moment as we wrap up our service, you will be making a public declaration. To whom shall I go? I, I have decided to follow Jesus. Remember that verse that people found so offensive? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up that last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. This is what we're about to do. It's a picture of the life we gain because of the death of Jesus. Coming forward for communion is a public declaration of this faith. As you come forward, you take bread that pictures the body of Jesus that was nailed to a cross as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin, making it possible for us to come freely without cost to Jesus. There is nothing we can do. And then you dip that bread in the juice that pictures the blood of Jesus without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no way to come to Jesus just as you are. It's Jesus' death that allows us to come to him just as we are. No cost to come to Jesus. Take that bread, dip it in juice, and partake as an act of worship and as an act of commitment where you're saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And while it didn't cost me anything to come to Jesus, I'm willing to take on the cost that often comes from following Jesus. I will take up the cross, whatever that looks like for me, and follow Jesus. Because where else would I go? Who else has the words of life? 
life that changes now and life that is truly forever. I will follow Jesus. The bread in the middle is gluten-free, and after I pray, I invite you all to respond by coming forward for communion as a declaration. I am a follower of Jesus. Our prayer team will be available for prayer during communion and after the service. Friends, our healing, our wholeness was purchased by Jesus on the cross. So come to our prayer team and allow them to pray with you for the work of Jesus to be applied to your situation today. Let's pray and then uh, I'll invite you to come forward for communion whenever you're comfortable to do so. And as I pray, I just simply invite you to pray along with me and make my prayer your own personal prayer. Jesus, I do thank you for your death on the cross. And by coming forward and taking communion, I am eating your body and drinking your blood. And as I do, you give me the gift of life. I don't understand it all, but I believe. And I thank you that your death on the cross, your broken body and shed blood, cleanses me from my sin and allows me to enter into a personal relationship with you. My creator, my God. Thank you that I can come just as I am. Whatever has happened in my life, whatever is happening right now, and you will forgive me, and you will come into my life and lead me. Wow, thank you for your life-transforming grace. And Lord, I thank you that when I started to follow you, when, when, when you came and began to live in me, you began to do a work in my life changing me as I allow you to work in my life into a better version of who you made me to be. Thank you for that. And yeah, I get, Lord, that letting you do that work in my life, at times it can be costly. But I will pay the price. I will let you lead. I will let you do your loving, transforming work in my life. Help me to live and love more like Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus and as I come forward to worship through communion, it's a declaration of my faith and commitment to you, Lord God. I pray all this in Jesus' name, that my life would glorify Jesus as Jesus is at work at me. Amen.